Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, welcome to the Hell Has an Exit podcast. I'm your host, Brian Alzate. This show is not affiliated with any specific 12-step program. If you or a loved one is struggling with an addiction, please find a local 12-step meeting. If you believe you may need detox or drug treatment of any kind, please call 833-999-1877 to speak to a specialist. The show is sponsored by United Recovery Project, a state-of-the-art drug and alcohol rehab facility. You can visit our website at unitedrecoveryproject.com. Hey, welcome to Hell Has an Exit. I'm your host, Brian Alzate. Today, I have my friend Tony V on the show. Tony V, uh, you're about to celebrate six years or you just got six years? September 11th, 2016. Wow. How old were you when you got clean? Almost 43. Almost 43? Damn, yeah. bro. <laughs> yeah, I so. love you because like some people come in the rooms shy and you came in like not shy. Like, fuck that. Da, 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 I'm going to do what the fuck I want to do. I'm going to have fun. And like you embrace like the silliness of recovery that it could be like how much fun we can have in recovery. And some people come in like too serious or I could tell that you were done with the facade. You know what I mean? I could tell like you were just ready to like be yourself and just stay clean. There was nothing else I really got from you other than like, I'm just here to fucking have fun and stay clean and i might not and like you had like no disregards of pretending to be perfect like some people get clean and they pretend like they're gonna be some spiritual guru or whatever you're like fuck it bro i'm just not using so <laughs> one of my favorite stories is when you first started working in treatment oh boy here and we go. i've been a tech before so like as a tech one of the hardest parts is like these kids that are half your size and like snot nose whatever spoiled brats are like talking shit to you like they're gonna beat your ass or something right like i've had kids throw stuff at me while i'm driving the van or something and it takes a lot of like patience and self-control to be like you know what i'm just gonna do my job i'm not gonna fucking act out like they're just addicts and you know whatever someone had told me that you were like some kid was like talking shit to you and you're like but i really don't give a fuck about this job i'll beat this shit out of you and i remember just laughing so hard i think you had like a couple months clean <laughs> my, i think i had nine months clean when i first got my treatment job and uh my level of patience and tolerance wasn't well my pa my level of acceptance wasn't to mm -hmm. the point where my patience and tolerance were like and they weren't any even areas of my life that i was even working on at that point but yeah look i was getting 12 dollars an hour i didn't value that job enough mm -hmm. to get disrespected at least at that point in my life yeah. and so this kid kept coming at me kept coming at me and it was i was working for drew actually mm -hmm. And I remember the kid going up to Drew saying, you know, telling on me, saying mm -hmm. uh, he just had me in a chokehold. <laughs> I, I literally had gotten this kid in like a full Nelson oh chokehold because he wanted to bump his chest on mine and kind of so like I wrapped him up WWF style. I kind of walked him into the wall as I was walking him out of the room and, and like, you know, I roughed him up a little bit. Drew looks at me dead serious. He's like, did you put your hands on this kid? And I was like, yeah, I did. And he gave me a high five and he was like, my man. And he turned to him and he's like, you ever disrespect any of my texts again, I will throw you out here, out of here. Wow. You'll be homeless. And I wow. was just like, okay, that's cool. Now uh -huh. I can beat these little fuckers up. <laughs> but that was like the only incident, but I haven't lived it down. But um, mm -hmm. I mean, look, I did not like being attacked. I just thought. It's so hard, bro. Well, like we all have this image that I'm going to stay clean and I'm going to go help people stay clean. And 90% mm -hmm. of the little fuckers that go to treatment don't even want to be there. And mm -hmm. they, they're not ready for a message. Mm -hmm. And you don't realize that when you get that job. It's just full yeah, of disrespect. Yeah, and there's just like a lot of it. You know, like like when I was a tech, there was clients that would disrespect other techs. I got them to to respect me. It took like a long time for that to kind of happen. I also had five years clean when I was a tech. So when I was a tech, like I had an ability to like 
have boundaries and say like, bro, I'm not your friend. You got to make your bed. And like, dude, kids would prank me. I remember this one time I was a tech. <laughs> I remember this one time I was a tech. I swear to God, bro, I was working at this facility in Pompano. I've been a tech for like six months. At first, like they were all running game on me. And then like after I got comfortable with the job, I was a really good tech. And I remember this one kid came up to me and he was like, bro, there's a fight going on in apartment 13. And I was like, oh, fuck. So I run over there. This kid was at the doorway on a table pants down, privates between his legs, bent over, and when I opened the door, it was, like, right in my face. Oh, wow. And they were all, they're like, uh, uh, guess what they call it, goading you? Uh, we used to call that the Doberman Pincher. <laughs> the Doberman Pincher. But I remember I was just like, what the fuck is going on? And I was so embarrassed, I didn't even put it in the report or anything. There was, like, so many times in treatment where, like, you would get tried, and it would just be so difficult to be, like, practicing the serenity prayer not punch one of these people in the face. And you know what? There was like a lot of amazing experiences too. You know, being a tech is probably one of the most influential parts of working at a, at a treatment center, you know? Yeah, and I remember the first time, like it only takes one, mm -hmm. right? The first client that actually started absorbing and wanting to stay clean on their own. Mm -hmm. Like I felt like I was making a difference in this person's life, right? That kind of flipped the whole script for me. And I was like, you know what? And they tell you at meetings, you know, take what you need, leave the rest behind. And I'm like, I got to take this job like that. There's going to be ones that want to hear it. And there's mm -hmm. going to be ones that don't want to hear it. And I don't have to waste my time talking to ones that don't want to hear it. Mm -hmm. The cool thing is here we are five plus years later. And some of the people that were my clients, mm -hmm. my first job as a tech, are clean today. Mm -hmm. And some of them have stayed clean the whole time. And some of them have relapsed and came back. But mm -hmm. I still have relationships with these people in the rooms when I see them, I work with some. And for that little bit of moment in time, I did make a difference in their life. And, mm -hmm. and now when they come back and we're still clean, like it makes a difference to them too. Mm -hmm. Like they see that this thing still works and it is worth doing it. Like these people are staying here for a reason. And, mm -hmm. and that feels good. Like that feels yeah, good. And, and there's kids that were um, like habitual repeat offenders. They would just always come back to treatment. And you could see them change every time. So, like, I remember, like, there was clients that would come in super arrogant, throwing the vacuum cleaner off the second floor, not wanting to go to group, sneaking peanut butter into, like, the vans and, like, just, just like a total riot, you know? And then, like, the second time, they'd be, like, a little broken. Like, the third time, they'd be a little broken. And then, like, you know, the fifth or sixth time, you see them change as people. And they're like, bro, I'm not having fun anymore. Like, it's time to grow up. And you would see a new kid come in who is, like, being a little shit or something. You would see that this other kid would be able to, like, mentor them and be like, look, bro, like, I know you want to throw that vacuum cleaner off the second floor, but, like, it's not going to change the fact that you're in here, you know? Yeah. And I would see, like, little miracles like that happen, and you would see some of the worst clients stay clean. Yeah. You know, sometimes the most misbehaved client in treatment would be the one who was the most into recovery. Yeah. He was just a class clown like I was. He was just acting the fool, but he wanted to stay clean. Yeah, yeah. You know, or that desire came later, you know, and then you, you see people that go through treatment that don't have any behavioral issues and they get high the day they get out. Yeah. So there's not really an indication of uh, who's ready and who's not. It just comes down to like who actually does the work at the end of the day. But watching like that kid that came back time and time again, and every time he came back, mm -hmm. he was a little bit more humble, a little bit more beaten. You just made me think of this as you were talking about it. It's like we were actually watching someone's journey to their mm -hmm. surrender, and that's kind of cool too. Mm -hmm. Like every single time, come back and be a little bit more willing, a little mm -hmm. bit more open-minded, a little bit more beaten, and just like, okay, like mm -hmm. I'm ready. And then they, they end up staying clean, and you're like, wow. Mm -hmm. Like the kid who came back 14 times in a year mm -hmm. is clean today, and he's got a black key tag multiple years, yeah. you know. I never realized, as for me, like the ups and downs that I went through to get to that surrender, like we don't see that in ourselves. Mm -hmm. Just like even in recovery, we don't see the growth that we have because we see ourselves every day and we don't notice the little changes. And the, I was talking with a friend about this the other day and it's like, I haven't seen them in months and they're a different person. Yeah. And it's hard to see that when you see someone every day or mm -hmm. when you're looking at yourself every day, but it's just crazy how... The people I knew from six years ago 
even mm-hmm. though had a lot of years clean then, are still leaps and bounds different today than they were six years ago. Yeah. Like the constant change that happens when we stay clean and we're willing to put in some work mm-hmm. and we're willing to put in action. Like that, that that's the difference for me, that the other 100 white key tags didn't work because mm-hmm. I had never put in action. Mm-hmm. You know, it's easy to tell you I love you. It's easy to send you a text to tell you I love you and stuff like that. But like, what does that mean? Really, like, what does that mean? And and for me, it's it's the difference between really loving someone and just doing it to do it is the action that I put behind it mm-hmm. and wh- how I show them. With me and you, we don't see each other all the time, but, like, we always remind each other that you're on my thoughts, right? Yeah. And that's action. It's mm-hmm. not like, oh, we ran into each other. Hey, man, I miss you. Yeah. But, like, the random texts that we get from each other yeah. mean something because, like, I haven't been forgotten. Like, there was a lot of years that I spent yeah. forgotten. And it's like, you know, like, I watch you from the sidelines. So it's like, I remember I saw, I saw your Halloween picture. <laughs> I remember just being like, yeah, bro, that's that's Tony, you know? And it's like, it's cool to see you grow and, like, have a career and blossom into, like, a whole life, you know? Because it's like... I remember when you first got clean. So it's like when you see someone, they first get here and like six years later, it's cool to be like a part of that journey. So you you mentioned the Halloween thing. And I don't know if it was your party or Tony Mead and um, Courtney's Halloween party. The first one I went to when I first got clean, I had this extravagant outfit on, Mm -hmm. right? That everybody was going to be like, what the fuck? (laughs) And I was so scared to show it that I had regular clothes on top of it Mm -hmm. and I never took it off. Shut the fuck up. Yeah, that was like four or five years ago, though. Wait, wait. So when you first got clean, you went to a Halloween costume. And you, what were you wearing, a bikini? No, it was like um, kind of the similar to the picture I sent you yesterday <laughs> with the jorts that had the ball sack fucking <laughs> hanging on the side and the belly hanging. Well, I didn't really have a big belly back uh-huh. then, but, you know, crop top or something tight. It was definitely uh-huh. something feminine-y. <laughs> You know, (laughs) Um, but I was scared. Like, I was like, I'm going to take it off. I'm going to surprise everyone. And I ended up wearing this tuxedo T-shirt, and I just left that on the whole party. If I go back to pictures of it, you're going to see everyone's wearing costumes, and I got a tuxedo T-shirt on. But you're wearing this little outfit underneath. Yeah, I had the outfit underneath, and it was uncomfortable. And it was So we change here, Mm -hmm. right? And we get to be comfortable with who we are Mm -hmm. and not have to worry about judgment. This disease rears itself in so many other areas. Mm-hmm. In this last year, I have had a 110-pound difference or something to that extent. I went from 260 to 210 Wow! in the past year, and then I went from 210 to 280. Oh, my God. All within a 12-month period. Uh-huh. And it wasn't because I don't like the way I look or I'm uncomfortable with how I look. Like mm-hmm. That's okay with me. It's just the physical aspect of it, like getting out of breath, having sex, mm-hmm. not being able to put your shoes on with by bending over. You got to do it to the side. Like, mm-hmm. So I'm like, you know what? I'm pushing up in age. Like I, if I want to live longer, like I have to start doing healthier things. But, dude, I was doing so good and I just was going to have a cheat day. Mm-hmm. Everyone has cheat days. Normal people that are on diets have a cheat day every week or once a month. And I had been doing this for like four months. And I'm like, I deserve a cheesesteak. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to have one, just one, one cheesesteak, sub-center. Sub-center, this okay. This is not a plug for sub-center, but. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard of sub-center. What it's, is it's that? It's on Hollywood Boulevard and 441. Okay. It was up right That's around good. the corner from. I only know Sonny's cheesesteak. Sonny's is great, too. So anyway, one cheesesteak. So, you know, just like a good addict, the next mm-hmm. day I was just like, well, it's going to take me three days to get back into fat burn mode. So before I commit to this again, <laughs> let me just have one more. Two cheesesteaks, okay. Well, I think it was a meatball sub the second day, or maybe it was the, pizza okay. or just something else that I was craving that I hadn't eaten mm-hmm. in four or five months. And probably it was a whole pizza. It was not, I never eaten just one slice. Mm-hmm. But that cheesesteak and that pizza have turned into me turning to 280 pounds now. Wow. Like I never went back on that diet. And, and it reminds me of the days where I was like, I'm just going to use today and I'll get clean tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And tomorrow just never came. Yeah, I've been clean for so long. I deserve it to just get high one more time. One time. And I'm not even going to get paranoid this time. You know, I remember telling myself, like, I'm not going to get paranoid. I'm only going to do this amount. I'm going to buy landing gear. So like I can't even smoke that much crack. So I'll buy 100 of crack and two Xanax. <laughs> and then I'll eat the Xanax like almost 
immediately when I started smoking the crack, and I'll be asleep. Yeah, so I don't have to feel the come down, right? And it would never work. I wouldn't even take the Xanax and just sell it and get crack. Yeah, I'm back. And now I'm at 270, and I don't know how I lost the 10 pounds. I didn't do anything to lose mm -hmm. it, like, but it just came off. I didn't realize one meatball sub was going to add 60 pounds. Yeah, it's a slippery, one, you know, slippery one, slope one for us. And sometimes, like, I have friends over or something, and, like, well, even when we go out to eat, people are like, oh, you can have, like, a little bit of dessert. I'm like, no, you don't understand. I'll have one spoon of ice cream here, and then, and then the I'll start ordering ice cream to my house so it's there, and I'll eat it by myself, you know? So it's like once, you know, and there is, like, an addictive science to this. Like, once you introduce carbs into your body, you start to crave more. You know, the yeah. craving isn't really there when you haven't had it in a while. But once you introduce it to your body, you have, you know, marinara sauce and a fucking pizza Bro, and that, some cheese. The last month of the four months that I was eating healthy, mm -hmm. that obsession to cheat was so bad. I had to mm -hmm. keep calling people that were on the same path as me. And they were like, what's your why? Like, why are you doing this? Remember yeah, that? Yeah, remember it so and, hard. And at the end of the day, I was just like... I was so obsessed over just, I just want a cheesesteak. I didn't know what I wanted. I just uh -huh. wanted something different, right? Cheesesteak, pizza, meatballs. I didn't mm -hmm. care. Dude, I was just obsessing. And I was literally white knuckling it that whole last month. And mm -hmm. I was almost to my goal. I think my goal, I was like three pounds off my goal. I think I was uh -huh. 223. And I was just like, dude, I reached my goal. I deserve a cheat day. Like, I'm close enough. Like, I'll get back on this tomorrow. My intentions, you know, they talk about those intentions. Mm -hmm. My intentions were to just... Have a cheat day, maybe pig out, gain five or six pounds back. But I knew I would be successful at losing that mm -hmm. back um, once I got back on track. And and that was the part that I didn't plan for carefully, like getting back on track. Mm -hmm. So, And I find myself today like heavier than I've been in recovery, 10 pounds heavier than I was when I started this diet. I don't care. Mm -hmm. I like cheesesteaks more than I like being 220. Mm -hmm. just for today so i have no desire to even lose weight i could care less like yeah. i'm caught up right now mm -hmm. like i'm in the middle of loving the way dope makes me feel loving the mm -hmm. way every hit of crack feels i don't want to get clean yeah and i guess that's going to take a journey too and maybe i hope it doesn't get to the point where i'm having heart attacks or bypass mm -hmm. surgeries and shit like that but i'm pretty content with eating like i used to eat until i was full and then take the rest home mm -hmm. Like, that's retarded to me. That's a stupid concept. <laughs> There's a plate full of food, so you finish your plate is what we were taught since mm -hmm. little kids, and I ran with that, you mm -hmm. know? Well, what happens to me is that I will want to eat clean. I'll go to the gym. I'll eat clean all day. But if I go too long of not eating, I go hungry. Like, if I'm supposed to eat, like, at 4 o'clock and then, like, 8, 9 o'clock comes, a part of me would be like, well, I'm just not going to eat because I don't really want to eat this late or whatever. And then, like, I'll get really hungry, and that's when I start craving, like, pizza and stuff like that. So for me, sometimes I'll get busy in the day, and I'll let myself get too hungry. For me to stop the craving, I need to, like, eat a bunch of small meals to keep me not feeling that hunger. But sometimes you get so busy in the day, it kind of just get, gets lost from you, and you don't want something healthy. You I literally crave. had an app on my phone that would yeah, like, remind me every yeah. two and a half to three hours just because I wanted to get my metabolism up. Yeah. And, you know, I silenced that thing because it was getting annoying mm -hmm. when I wasn't on, you know, and mm -hmm. I'm like, this fucking thing's still reminding me I got to eat right now. <laughs> and, and it was like smaller portions and like that way I don't get to that point of hunger where mm -hmm. I want to, my eyes are bigger than my stomach and I want to order three or four different yeah. things. I hate that feeling of, of eating too much though. It's the worst. You, when I every order single food, time, I'm miserable. Yeah, when I order pizza and ice cream and all this stuff and tacos, the first, like, hour is great. And then, like, there's that part of you where you're like, you know you're full, but you just want to keep eating. And then you get sick and you just feel like shit. It's like, that feeling sucks, but... It's kind of just like smoking crack. It's like, it it's like it's like as much as it sucks, like a week later, you'll forget about it and you'll get hungry and you'll yeah, do it the again. The shame and the guilt go out the window real fast. Like it makes me feel better when I keep acting on this because now I got to cover up that shame mm -hmm. and the guilt from overeating or from whatever it is. Like My thing is to stay active because if I could stay active and work out every single day and run and do a lot of cardio, it's hard for me to eat bad when I worked out so hard earlier, because you just kind of don't want it when you've worked out right. hard. You, your body doesn't. But it's when I start missing workouts and when I get sick. Like, if I get sick, I really convince myself that I need to eat ice cream and pizza and relax.
I got a gym membership for the first time earlier this year. Mm -hmm. And I told myself, like, I got to do 90 and 90. I got to go every day for mm -hmm. 90 days. And a friend told me, like, just go there, swipe your card. Even if you just go do 10 minutes on the mm -hmm. treadmill and you don't really put a full session in, just get in that habit of getting up, mm -hmm. going to the gym, doing whatever. So I was at day 63 and I decided to take a break and I haven't been back. And that was like four or five months ago, mm -hmm. you know. And it's just like that 90 and 90 is so important, like getting into a routine and giving yourself the time to actually start seeing some results because mm -hmm. now it's worth doing it. Yeah. You know, if you're not seeing results, if I'm not seeing, if, if I was at Narcotics Anonymous meetings working a program for mm -hmm. six months and I didn't see results, I'd have been out. Yeah. I'd have been out. A lot of it for me is kind of like just feeling good because like when I'm thinner, I feel good. Like I feel good about myself. It feels good when, when you don't want to eat the pizza. When there's pizza around, you just kind of don't want it. Like if you get to that point, a lot of times it's like, for me, I need to learn to like not be hard on myself and to love my body at any weight. Just because I gained weight or because I got fat doesn't mean I like don't love my body. Like think about if you had a kid. Like imagine if your kid got fat. What do you mean you don't love him anymore? You just yeah. be like, dude, maybe you should lose some weight. What would happen to me when I first got clean is that I would gain weight and not look the way that I want to look and not love myself. Right. And the thing is, is that I need to be able to love where I'm at and have a vision for the future. And even with success, it's the same way. So it's like the hardest part about being successful is that you can only become successful by being ambitious. And sometimes when you're overly ambitious, you become ungrateful for what you have. So how do you remain ambitious but still be grateful for what you have? Because if you're too grateful for what you have, you kind of don't want anything else. You right. know? So how do you want more and still appreciate what you have? And it's like this, this, this balance of like, I want more, but I know God has given me more than I've ever had. Yeah. Because even though I did gain some weight, bro, some people are walking around with fucking cancer that are going to die in six months. So like, who am I to fucking complain about being heavy? Right. You know? Bro, and even with the finances, like maybe in the last 12 months, mm -hmm. didn't have to worry about checking my bank account before making a decision. Mm -hmm. A teen solo hiker who was terrorized for days by unknown figures dressed in white. Two cops who quit their job at a local theater because of an unexplained encounters with an alleged demon. An isolated forest in Canada where people keep turning up headless. These are just some of the strange, dark, and mysterious stories you'll hear each week on the Mr. Ballin podcast. In each episode, Mr. Ballin shares real-life haunting accounts like the case of Haley Zega, who disappeared from a hiking trail for 51 hours. When search and rescuers finally found her and asked how she survived, she simply said a friend helped her. She described this friend, four years old, black hair, and brown eyes. This friend was initially dismissed until they realized a girl had gone missing in that exact spot 23 years earlier and was never found. She was four years old, had black hair and brown eyes. Hey, Prime members, listen to the Amazon Music exclusive podcast, Mr. Ballin' Podcast, Strange and Dark Mysterious Stories, in the Amazon Music app. Download the app today. And not that, like, I'm in any means financially comfortable. I'm not living paycheck to paycheck. And I yeah. was like four and a half years clean and I'm watching these new kids come in and get these jobs that they're mm -hmm. making two, three grand a week. And I'm like, what am I doing wrong? And why do they mm -hmm. drive these nice cars and the chains and the dude, the most expensive shirt I have is maybe a $30 shirt. Mm -hmm. and, and I had to like think twice about buying that. Mm -hmm. I'm not one of those that like defines myself by those things, like my insides, don't, my outsides don't have to make my insides feel better. Mm -hmm. But we get to a point where like the shoes, they like, I don't own expensive shoes. Like I own a $200 pair of shoes and every time I wear them, I'm like, I don't want to scuff these things up. Mm -hmm. For me, like, I mean, that's cool. But if I'm making enough money one day where I don't care if I scuff them up because I'll just buy another pair, mm -hmm. I'm cool with that. But like, I don't want to have to have something where I'm so scared it's going to get scratched up or scuffed mm -hmm. up that because it's the only one that I have. Yeah. And it, but like I was telling you on the way here, I got I got auto updates on my text saying, "Oh, mm -hmm. your auto payment just came out," and I didn't have to worry for the first time mm -hmm. that did my checking account bounce? Yeah, like did it go over? And and it's feel you know what else feels cool that I never realized this that I actually have a debit card for a checking account and credit cards. Mm -hmm. 
now I can pump my gas and I don't have to wait for the gas to stop pumping before I buy something inside because you can't <laughs> use the same card. I didn't realize how cool that feels, but yeah. you got to understand, like I have claimed bankruptcy twice, a house foreclosure, a lot of stuff that screwed my credit up, right? Mm -hmm. And it wasn't like little things. This, yeah. These were like I had, before I started getting bad on my drug addiction, I had accumulated a bunch of stuff and mm -hmm. a huge credit score and all of that stuff. And all of it went out the window. I mean, I didn't even start using until I was almost 30. Wow. Like our stories are almost opposite, yeah. right? I got hooked on painkillers. And it was around the time that the, the, the Percocets, I, I caught this feeling off of them, but it was also the time where oxys were like all mm -hmm. over the place. And I'm Where'd like, you grow up? Baltimore. And you, you lived there? I lived there Primarily. for, yeah, I lived there for 42 years, Baltimore mm -hmm. City. You know, I was just caught up in the lifestyle. I was bartending, you know, and with bartending comes a whole lot of drinks, a lot of females, mm -hmm. like all the attention cash. that I ever wanted, a lot of cash, and the drug dealers were there, so it was always cool to get a little bag of Coke, you know, and drink the night away, take the girls in the bathroom, give them what they want, they give you what they want, like, and it was just, like, I loved that lifestyle. It was mm -hmm. great. And if I could live that lifestyle for the rest of my life back then, I was like, I'm, I'm going to be happy. And and I was always looking at, like, the 50-year-old bartender that I worked with, and I'm like, this idiot's still bartending. <laughs> but, like, now going back to it, I understand why. Like, he loves that lifestyle, mm -hmm. and he always wanted to do that. And, like, let's be honest. When you have a bag of Coke and you're 50, year old, 50 years old and 25-year-olds want to bang you because mm -hmm. you have cocaine, like, that's pretty validating mm -hmm. for someone, you know? Yeah, and with the bartending and, like, those cash jobs, it's like, one, you know, when you're getting paid in cash, you're not claiming that on taxes. So you can't really move up in life because you don't have really good credit. But you can't really get a job making better money. So you really just kind of get stuck into, like, the bartending type of thing. And, it like, some people bartend, they love it. But eventually it's like, dude, you should start paying taxes if you want to buy a house. Yeah. You know, if you want other things in life, like, like you know, a good credit score or whatever, like you're going to have to make some sacrifices. And then eventually some people just get tired of like that nightlife thing because it might not be fulfilling. But it's it's a hard thing to get out of because it's like, it dude, is. people are making 100 grand a year, six figures bartending. Well, that's why I had to find a job that was going to fit me. Mm-hmm where I was making that kind of money. Mm -hmm. So I ended up taking some real estate classes mm -hmm. and I became a realtor. And this was in the early 2000s before the crash. So success came really quick. I was making six figures my first two or three years doing real estate, mm -hmm. like every year. I'm mean, easily going to 90, 100, 150 grand. So I'm still bartending at night. So now like I'm making double the money I make and I, I cut my days back, but mm -hmm. I still was addicted to that lifestyle. So I didn't want to completely put it down. Mm -hmm. But I'm literally, like, I have clients in the office in the front of the computer signing 52 pages of contract that mm -hmm. I had highlighted. And I was in the bathroom rail lines off the back of the <laughs> toilet. And I'm coming back, like, jacked up. Like, mm -hmm. hey, are we done yet? Oh, you missed this, you missed that, and you missed that. Because I was still successful in life, like, I kept living in that denial. Like, I wasn't as bad as everyone else. Like, mm -hmm. I got this under control kind of thing. And I lived my life like that. And it was like a secret life. My wife had no idea. My wife had no idea. I don't know if she was just completely oblivious to it or was just like, you In know denial. what, the pros outweigh the cons because I'm still bringing home mm -hmm. a lot of money. Like I'm paying all the bills and, you know, she had her own career. She was making money and she makes five times the money I do now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we had this beautiful little kid and I think he was five when it all came crashing down. Mm -hmm. Like everything, the, the sheriff's departments with search warrants and the wife's like, what is going on? And... Three days after that, she's packing up everything and she's out. A couple months after that, the bank's putting locks on the door. I'm not even allowed back in. I mean, literally, it took a couple of months for everything to fall apart once, mm -hmm. like, the shit hit the fan. That was not a wake-up call for me. Like, mm -hmm. I was in that poor me. My, no matter what I do in life, everything falls apart. And I, since that point moving forward, I went from sniffing coke and oxys to smoking crack and shooting heroin. I had the freedom to do that because now I didn't have to lead a, this second life. And the bank didn't know that I had a secret entrance into the house that I had built. Mm -hmm. Right. So, like, I used that as a trap house for another three years. Wow. For three years. That's crazy. It took them three years to finally figure come into out. the house and figure it wow. out. The electric was still on, the air conditioning still worked. Wow. Um, but by the end of that, like, I had taken all the cabinets out, the chandeliers, the copper pipes, all that stuff that I, I had. It took me two years to build that house up. Like, I bought a shell, I bought mm -hmm. it and gutted it out. But all that stuff that I had built, like, I was literally tearing it back apart. 
and getting pennies on the dollar for it. Because at the end of my road, like I didn't, I didn't have a job. I was like, I was not employable. I was one of those that could easily get new jobs. I just couldn't keep them. But at mm -hmm. that point in my life, I had no incentive to even go look for a job. Yeah, when you're using, it's like I'm gonna work and I get paid in two weeks. You know, it's yeah, like that's crazy. it's like it's like, dude, you do, you can't do that. Like it's impossible. Because then, no matter how much that check is at the end of two weeks, it could be a thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars. It's only gonna last the weekend. Yeah, not just that. Like I could, I don't have the ability to stay somewhere that, like you know, like you're just unemployable. I don't yeah, know. How to I don't say. know that I'm gonna last till my first paycheck. <laughs> yeah, right. like yeah, I'm gonna be like, I gotta find a way to get thirty dollars because like once you become addicted to opiates. You can't do anything unless you have opiates. Yeah. So you don't have, you can't go to work eight hours a day. No. You have to find money to even go, to, you have to have drugs to go to work, yes. you know? So. And that's where um, in Baltimore, all you have to do is tell them you're homeless and they give you free Medicaid. Mm -hmm. And the convenient part about that is if you tell them you're homeless and bipolar, now for six months to a year, mm -hmm. while you're being um, investigated by the Social Security Administration, they'll give you $300 in, in emergency cash assistance every month. So now what? I'm getting 200 in food stamps. I'm getting 300 in cash at the beginning of every month. Cash? It was, yeah, I put, it was like a debit card. You put, it, you put your food stamp card in the ATM machine and it gave you $300. So this is how the system's set up. And is you this get, still going on? Probably. And you, get, up for and you get free methadone. What? So you That's just, so crazy to me. I used to go to the methadone so clinic. So wait, you're getting 200 in food stamps, 300 bucks in cash, and oh. then you're also getting methadone. Every day. Wow. So it's almost set up to keep you sick. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like... And like yeah, that still wasn't enough, obviously. But yeah. I knew the, at the but first that's like or the a baseline. third that's of every a solid month, baseline. we're partying that night because me and five of my friends that were all hanging, friends, whatever you uh -huh. want to call them, we're all getting the three hundred dollars cash tonight. Like his would come on the first, <laughs> mine would come on the second, the other guys would come on the fifth. So we were good for that whole week, the first week so of the it's month. Like, yeah, we're all gonna party. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so and those were the weeks where we would probably get some prostitutes too, like because we had a little bit of extra money. <laughs> wow. What percent of the of the people on this program are doing that? Oh my god. Everybody, right? Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> and the ones that didn't know about it. We're promptly, um, hey, man, I got a way you can get over on the system. Did you know you could get emergency yeah. cash assistance? You just go to a doctor, tell them you're bipolar. You, fill, you fill, send that paperwork mm -hmm. to the Social Security Administration, and they're going to give you the emergency cash assistance before they determine whether you're disabled or not. And uh -huh. if they determine you're disabled or not, then you'll get $700 a month. Wow. But if they don't, while they're investigating and while you're appealing it, mm -hmm. you're still going to get the 300 every month. So you can appeal it for six to nine months yeah. and keep getting this money. And then and I'm find, sure it's easy to claim that you're mentally ill. Yeah, and you find another doctor that says that you you're mentally ill after that. Yeah. And and, and the, the cycle keeps going. It just keeps going, and it keeps you sick. And it wasn't until, like, when I came to Florida, I just thought that I was going to keep getting my food stamps and my $300 at the beginning of the month because mm -hmm. it was Maryland Medicaid, and I didn't know it didn't transfer. That's uh -huh. And I went up to a methadone clinic in Florida with my Medicaid card, and they were like, what the hell is this? <laughs> And I was like, I need my methadone. Hang on, back up, back up. <laughs> what went on in those years while you were doing You did that for years? Mm, so when my wife Where left. Where are you living? That's the question. So I was in and out of that house for three years after my wife left. And that was the like. The abandoned house. Yeah, that was in 2011. Mm -hmm. So three years in and out of that abandoned house. Then I stayed with my mom when she would have me. or um, And that was a whole other. I, don't, I can't believe what I put that woman through. Mm -hmm. But. Until 2016, I was living with my mom. So you didn't start smoking crack until your 30s? Yeah, I was close to 30, around there. Mm -hmm. But I didn't, start, I didn't put a needle in my arm until I was 40. Wow. So, so you were just doing methadone? But you were doing opiates, just not yeah, IV. Yeah, I was doing, doing pills, snorting pills? I was snorting pills. Oxygen and when oxygen. they got rid of the OC80s is when I turned to dope. I'm glad, grateful for that because I don't know that I would have ever stopped if they still had OC80s. There was just something about, I had gotten yeah. to a day where I was doing eight to 10 80s a day. Yeah. Yeah. With opiates, it's weird. Like once you do an 80, you think if you do more, you're going to get higher, but you can't, but nah. you just compulsively you just keep do doing it. Them. It's so weird. You don't get higher. You just keep doing it. You just keep doing it. It's crazy. But um, there was days where I couldn't keep my, my eyes open and mm -hmm. you know, that's where the, the cocaine came in. 
right? Because, mm-hmm. like, look, I was living this lavish lifestyle when I was bartending. I, I was working at a neighborhood bar literally on Monday nights. It was this guy, Neil and Bob. Mm-hmm. It's funny that their names were Neil and Bob, mm-hmm. but that they were best friends. They were, like, in their 80s. They would come in and drink $2 drafts each and watch the Monday night football game. And that was my tips for the night, literally a dollar from Neil and a dollar from Bob mm-hmm. when, I, when I got there. And once in a while, there'd be a random person come in to get a sandwich or something and leave a couple dollars. Ten years later, when I left, when I got fired from that job, I managed to keep that job mm-hmm. for ten years. Monday nights, I was walking out of there with five to six hundred dollars. So was the other bartender that they had to hire, and we were also given our manager money because we mm-hmm. just couldn't handle the business. And it was partially because of my personality, right? Mm-hmm. People were coming in to see me, but it was also that I was manipulating like eight or nine old ladies. Like mm-hmm. I would go to pharmacies. I had to find ways that means to get more. So yeah. I would go to pharmacies and as I'm walking out, like I'm watching the people in the prescription lines, mm-hmm. the older ladies, and I would always help them put their stuff in their thing. And I would always fake a back injury, putting this stuff in their trunk. And mm-hmm. they'd be like, oh, I got something for you if you really hurt your back. And that was my end. Like wow. if they had something good, I would be like, I, oh, really? Yeah. So but now we're now we're friendly, mm-hmm. and I'm putting the date down, and next month I'm coming back, and I'm getting even friendlier with her. Mm-hmm. Like, this was a whole patient process that I went through, but mm-hmm. I had gotten myself like eight or nine of them. Not only were they give, selling me their half of their script every month. You I was sleeping t- with them? Just messing with you. <laughs> no, did I? Maybe. I would have. I would have. I didn't. That wouldn't have stopped me. That would have been easier than what I was doing. <laughs> so, like, I'm convincing them that they need to go to a second doctor. And I was paying them cash for their doctor visit. Mm-hmm. I told them I didn't want them using their insurance. And then they would go and get the pills in cash mm-hmm. uh, without their insurance card. So I'm doing this twice a month with like eight or nine old ladies. And they started dying off, right? Um, and, wow. and, and the hustle was gone because I had done it for so long that I didn't have to go look for more plugs, mm-hmm. whatever. They were my fucking cartel. Mm-hmm. These little 80-year-old ladies were in my cartel. Like I'm going through thousands of oxys a month through my hands. Yeah, giving them like a couple hundred bucks. Give, I'm paying their doctor appointment, giving them four or five hundred bucks. They're ecstatic, you know. Yeah. I would take them out to lunch. I would go by, go buy scratch-off tickets for them because mm-hmm. they didn't want to leave the house. So I would always go by. And, and when I ran out, I knew they still had half of their script at home. Mm-hmm. So my personal use would come from going and doing chores for them. Mm-hmm. Like I would go to their house, help clean up their living room or their dining room. And here, take a like couple a 80s. Solid hustle. Oh, my God, it, it, it sustained me for a long time. Mm-hmm. And my life was not unmanageable then. It was actually great. Mm-hmm. And people always talk about how they remember the bad days. My disease takes me to the good old fucking yeah. days. I believe that if I start doing 80s again, I can manipulate 15 old ladies this time. <laughs> right? I can go get a job at one of these bars on the beach and be making mm-hmm. tens of thousands of dollars mm-hmm. selling oxys. The, so the thing is, is like, most people who become really bad drug addicts is that they have this period where they have a super sweet setup. Like they're getting pills super cheap or they have a super sick job, but then their addiction gets so out of whack and then it comes crashing down and they still have this crazy addiction without the income coming or without like the free pills coming or whatever. And then you think that you're gonna get back to this sweet position again. Never, never. Never. The end of my road took me- crack into it and it's just like- The end of my road took me to Convincing my mom to let me stay for the night, mm-hmm. taking a shower, eating a hot meal, pretending to fall asleep, waiting for her to fall asleep so I can army crawl through her bedroom. And she started getting wise and the money wasn't in the purse after a while. Mm-hmm. And then she was hiding it in like coat pockets in the back of the closet so I wouldn't find it. No matter where that poor woman hid her money, mm-hmm. I always found it. And then I would find these big stashes. It would always be like three, four, five hundred dollars, mm-hmm. right? And I would always be like, I'm just gonna take $20. I don't wanna rob my mom of everything. Mm -hmm. And every single time I found a stash, it never made it through the night, $20 at a time. I would just, I would go cop, come home, I'm already coming down, I'm already, you know, whatever. Cause I was the guy that as long as I wasn't dope sick, I'm buying crack with the rest of my money, you know? Every single time I found a stash, she would wake up in the morning and there'd be nothing there. Mm -hmm. And it'd be like, you're not coming back here again. I'm changing the locks again. And, And that lasted like, 24 to 48 hours and she was so worried about her her oldest son like dying in the streets that Mm -hmm. she would always let me back in again with a new hiding spot thinking that she got one over on me again i'm talking about i was going through cabinets in the the water meters she had stuff hidden behind water meters like there wasn't a spot in that house that i didn't the -hmm. water cutoff valve that was behind three walls like she would find places and and no matter where she hid it like every time she fell asleep i got over on Mm -hmm. her again and 
you know, I take pride in saying I never put a gun to nobody's head. I didn't walk up to ATM machines like some of my friends did and rob people as they're mm-hmm. getting money out. The one person who never gave up on me, I stole from. Mm-hmm. And, and like that was heavy on me, right? Like for a long time. And it kept me using for a mm-hmm. long time, like the guilt from that. So I, I get to participate in her life today, though. There hasn't been a day since I've been clean that I haven't talked to my mom once, definitely once every day, most of the time, twice, just to see how she's doing, just to tell her I love mm-hmm. her. And they don't live far from me. They live in Lake Worth, so That's cool. um, I get to go visit them. I, I usually make it a point to go at least once a week because mm-hmm. now I have a beautiful little nephew, and it kind of gives me, he was born three weeks after I got clean. Wow. So that kid's never seen me use. Mm-hmm. And I'm literally like one of his favorite people in the world. That's cool. And uh, I go and I hang out with him and we play video. I'm taking him to Boomers on Monday because my sister has stuff to do and he's off of school. So mm-hmm. I was like, yes, we're going to play video games. So mm-hmm. what was your experience with getting to Florida and then getting clean? So end of my road. I'm on my methadone, right? So my life's a little bit more manageable. How many milligrams of methadone are you on? I was up to 80. That was the highest I ever got to. Um, the liquid handcuffs? Or yeah, the, the pink liquid. Mm-hmm. I'm working at a wood shop. Mm-hmm. Like one of my dad's best friends saw that I was doing a little bit better. Gave me yet another chance to go work for him, hoping that I didn't fuck it up again because I had worked for him once or twice before and mm-hmm. not showing up, stealing tools, whatever you do at construction sites, you know. So I'm literally like receiving the wood off the po- the table and it's a big table saw. And as I'm reaching over, I almost cut my hand off twice because I was nodding out. Mm-hmm. And he's like, what are you doing? You know, you know what, that stuff that you're on, it's too high. You got to come down. So I had came down to 50 milligrams. Life was functioning good, but I would still go out on weekends and spend my money on mm-hmm. getting high. So my buddy from the methadone clinic, we had this grandiose idea. We started working for this guy because I, I finally left my uncle's. And I'm making all this money rehabbing these trailers for office buildings and stuff. And I, I was making like almost two grand a week. Mm-hmm. So we're going to go get our own apartment, me and the methadone guy, because my mom said she was coming to Florida. I was like, I'm not going, I'm not going to Florida. Too I want to mo- do a TV show that just follows people from the methadone clinic. Oh, my God. Oh, man, it's like the best. Like, uh, I was watching something about uh, the, the Raiders guy, Waller. Oh, yeah. The yeah. tight end. Uh-huh. He goes, he's in, uh, I guess it's in Vegas now. Uh-huh. But it's these tunnels that these people live in. And he goes back there. And they, really? And he, dude, he's financing like this, I guess, organization that mm-hmm. helps homeless people and drug wow. addicts and stuff. But there was like a little excerpt they did on him. It's not, it wasn't like highly publicized, but mm-hmm. I watched it. And they're literally in these tunnels and he used to live in these tunnels. So he like, he goes back and he wow. follows a guy for the day. And some people stay clean and most of them don't, but like he gives them a chance. And- Welcome to the Genesis House powered by the United Recovery Project, located in sunny South Florida. We offer drug and alcohol addiction treatment, as well as a major focus on dual diagnosis. Our addiction therapy programs include behavioral therapy, 12-step facilitation, psychotherapy, life skills training, and more. At our facility, you can expect a low client-to-staff ratio, daily group therapy, weekly one-on-one therapy sessions, and luxury amenities such as volleyball, basketball, pool, chiropractor, personal trainer, yoga, massage therapy, and more. Contact the United Recovery Project today and let's create a better tomorrow. Hello, it is Ryan and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. But that would, that, that's, that's kind of cool. like cool. But a month before... The contracts, I don't know if the guy just didn't want me going back. I think Mm -hmm. that was more likely. But he told me he lost all his contracts. He didn't have work for me. So all the money that I had saved up for the apartment that I was going to get started dwindling because I was still getting high. And like a week before my mom was leaving, I called my sister. And I was like, I don't think I'm going to be able to stay in Maryland. Is that offer to come to Florida still open? And she was like, how fast can you have your stuff stuff packed? Well, I didn't have much. Mm -hmm. I was literally in a room at my mom's house. And I was like, my stuff's pretty packed already. Mm-hmm. So my sister bought me a plane ticket. We threw the stuff on the truck, and it was supposed to get driven down here. 
one of those moving companies. I came to Florida, and my last day in Baltimore was at BWI. I had taken a blast before we got to the airport. Mm -hmm. Like, I was going to smuggle some dope with me because I didn't know where I was going to cop it down here. I had a rig. I had all the shit I needed, right, because I didn't know where to get it here, and I wasn't going to be dope sick. I had two two take-homes of methadone. Hey, you know, might as well buy some fucking crack while I'm at it. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm already re-upping up. So I took a hit. Before we got to the airport. So we get to the airport and like, I got drugs. I got a stem. I got a, a, a syringe. Oh my God. All on me. And I'm like, I had you put this. Put it in your check bag, bro. Well, I had this. I, I was scared. It. Yeah, you need it. Well, no, I was scared that if it went through the security line, even though I had worked at the airport, I know only one in a hundred get checked. I was like, if they, I'm going to get out of the airport and the feds are going to be waiting for me in Florida. Like, that's where my head took me. So I'm like, I'm going to, if I'm going to get caught, it's going to be, I'm going to know I'm getting caught. So like, I was going to hide it on me. So I go in the bathroom and I had, I was going to stash it. I think it was in my shoes. I don't remember where I was going to put it. It was the dumbest idea in mm-hmm. the world, right? It was 2016. It was September yeah. 10th, the day before I got clean. It was after 9-11, all that yeah. shit. So I can't take this with me. They're going to catch me. So I'm looking at the toilet, and I, I got like $50 worth of dope mm-hmm. and um, probably 80 or $100 worth of crack left, whatever, and two take-homes. You didn't throw it out. And I'm like, I'm looking at the toilet, and I'm like, I got to flush this shit. And I'm like, well, let me just take a couple more hits. I'll do another shot before I get rid of this stuff. An hour later, my mom's sitting in the wheelchair at the airport going, oh my God. what is going on in there? We're going to miss our flight. Uh-huh. Are you, what are you doing? I'm like, Mom, I got the runs. Like, I'll be out in a minute. I can't stop shitting. Mm-hmm. And I didn't leave that bathroom stall till I smoked all the crack, till I shot all the dope. And I even drank my two take-homes so I could calm down before mm-hmm. I went through security a little bit. And So uh, you smoked all the crack? I smoked $100 worth of crack. <laughs> I shot $50 worth of dope. And I drank the two take-homes. Because at this point, I was, mom's I was so paranoid about the take-homes, even though they had my name on them. I didn't want to take those through security, so I drank those motherfuckers 200 milligrams of methadone. And I still carried them through security empty, which is how stupid this was, right? Because they, I guarantee you, if I look through my stuff, I still have those two bottles with my name on them oh of God. methadone mm-hmm. sitting in a tin, like, lunchbox kind of thing in my closet, right? <laughs> Today, I did not. Today, I think I still have them. I, <laughs> I, I had a roommate that was like, "Yo, why you got methadone bottles in your closet?" I'm like, "Why are you going through my shit?" He's like, "Do you really have the clean time you have?" I'm like, "Mind your fucking business." First of all, look at the date, you fucking moron. <laughs> why do you have them? Throw I don't know them. why I had. Ca- I don't know if I threw them away that day, but I know I had them with like two years clean still. <laughs> I did not know that that was going to be my last day using, nor did I have That's any. the last time you ever used? Well, yeah, because this is how At it worked out. I came down here, and th- this was a Saturday, and I had enough in me to keep me well for like Sunday. Hours, yeah. So Monday, I'm going to go to the methadone clinic. I'm going to get back on. Here's my Medicaid card. They were like, we can't take this. you got to pay. It was like 18 or $20 a day. I'm like, I'm not paying for methadone. You guys are crazy. And I had a couple of dollars in my pocket still. Wow, so you refused to pay the $18? Yeah, so I, I did what a good addict would do, and I asked somebody in the methadone line, yo, where can I get some heroin? Like, mm-hmm. I'm not paying for this shit. I'll buy you some if you take me somewhere, mm-hmm. right? So they were like, all right, let's go. And But my sister was with me. She dropped me off at the methadone clinic that day, and mm-hmm. she was waiting for me. So I was like, can we do this tomorrow? I'll be here tomorrow. I'm going to get her car, and we'll go. So I got her car the next day. I, t- I pretended like I got dosed. I'm like, I'm good. Let's go. Mm-hmm. Um, I just have to come every day until I build up their trust and where they start giving me take-homes again. Mm-hmm. She's like, all right, well, tomorrow I'm busy. You can take my car. I'm like, the plan's working. Mm-hmm. So I go back. Dude's not there. <laughs> I waited like an hour for this dude to show up. So I was like, fuck, this guy's not coming today. Or he, I missed him, whatever. Let me fucking ask someone else. So this someone else was like, well, go to Goldie. Some dude named Goldie in Overtown. She mm-hmm. sends me, right? I had an Obama flip phone. So I didn't know how to get to Overtown. Mm-hmm. So I had to drive back to Hollywood. I had went to the methadone clinic four days in a row and never got methadone <laughs> when I moved here. How sick were you? I was fucking treacherous. <laughs> and I still wasn't going to pay the $20 for the methadone. The no. I, at this what? point, I wanted, I wanted heroin. So maybe it was three days. So I go back home to do MapQuest to find out how to get to Overtown. And my sister got home. And now she needed her car, so I couldn't go to Overtown. So I'm like, this is the grand plan for tomorrow. Then fuck it. I'm going to get her car. I'm going to go to Overtown. So I'm driving through Overtown. And it was not, look, people are like, oh, Overtown's scary. I was walking through the hoods of Baltimore. Overtown's not a scary place to me. It's just 
a fucking normal neighborhood, right? Mm-hmm. But so I'm going through every town. I'm looking for Goldie, and and everybody's like hush hush because like yeah, I was looking like a dope fiend, but I just didn't look like the rest of them. So they didn't trust me. They'd never seen me before. They didn't know if I was a snitch. So nobody was telling me who the fuck Goldie was. So I was like, all right, can I just buy some heroin? Oh, you got to go up to 79th Street. They're sending me here. They're sending me there. Everybody had crack. Nobody had fucking dope. And I wanted crack too, but I just was so dope you sick that. The dope. Yeah. So I was like, nope, not until I find some heroin. Found a guy on the bus stop day four. He takes me to a place. He comes back out. He had bought himself $20 worth of crack because I told him he can spend $20 on himself and get me $50 worth of heroin. Mm-hmm. And uh, he comes back. He had bought himself $20 worth of crack and handed me my $50 back, said they didn't have any. So I fucking pissed at him. I drop him off. I'm driving through Hollywood. I'm looking for girls on the street because they know where to get to drugs, right? Can't and I'm like, give you his 50 bucks back. People don't know that there's some loyal people out in the streets. Yeah. There's no, this nice guy was an older there. black guy. He yeah, didn't seem nice like his, his hustle game was ripping yeah. people off, right? So I was like, fair enough. I was happy he gave me $50 back, like, right? So I'm looking for hookers now. I'm just driving up and down Fed mm-hmm. from Hallandale Beach Boulevard all the way up to Griffin looking for hookers. It's side street. Dope sick looking for hookers? What's yeah, wrong because, with you? Because they knew oh, where the drugs were. Okay. Yeah, they know so where to find them. You're not necessarily looking for sex. No, I didn't want sex. I wanted <coughs> okay. drugs and I knew they okay. would find it. Like okay. they never let me down back home. You okay. Know? Okay. So I was doing what I knew best, right? So look, dude, for four hours I didn't find a single hooker walking <laughs> Hollywood. <laughs> And I'm well, like, that's like the, the f- worst luck ever. It was like ever. Twilight Zone. <laughs> it was literally like I was in the Twilight Zone. Dude, I had copped heroin in foreign countries where I didn't speak a lick of the language. And I, I couldn't find it in fucking South Florida. <laughs> so by now it's Thursday. I am literally had to take stops like every 20 minutes to, to make sure I didn't shit myself. <laughs> yeah. Shaking, sweating. People were scared <laughs> to even talk to me at this point. <laughs> So I go home and I'm like, I can't do this no more. She's like, what are you talking about? I was like, I haven't been to a meeting or a methadone clinic. I've been looking for heroin. This is my sister. Mm -hmm. And I fucking hit my knees and I started crying. I was like, I just can't fucking do this no more. I was like, I don't, I don't want the life I had in Baltimore here. And she's like, well, what do you want to do now? I was like, I don't know. I just want to feel better. Can we go to a hospital? Can we go somewhere? I didn't have no insurance. I didn't know you to get a scholarship. Have you ever been to (laughs) detox? Never. What? All those years, never went to a detox? Never. Jail. Yeah. And I had to lie that I was an alcoholic so they could give me the Librium or whatever uh-huh. they give you. Yeah. So she's like, well, why don't we go to a meeting? How does she know about meetings? Because I had tried years and years before. Like, to go I, to meetings? Yeah, I did the meeting thing for like 90 days while I was on Suboxone. Mm-hmm. And I did a bunch of stuff, right? And Narcotics Anonymous started working in my life while mm-hmm. I was on Suboxone, mm-hmm. right? I started... I had I had commitments like I was on the activities we were cooking spaghetti and meatballs really? around Halloween. Never started step work because my sponsor didn't believe I should start step work while mm-hmm. I was on a maintenance program. But I had stopped all other substances. I'm going mm-hmm. to this. It was I, they called it IOP. We went in the evenings for an hour. The guy talked to us for a little bit and they would dose us, mm-hmm. right? And it was a clinic basically, a suboxone clinic. Mm-hmm. So we had to go every day until we started building up some rapport, and then they would let us go every other night and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And it was based like IOP is now but we were getting our dose and then they would give us an extra one for tomorrow if we weren't coming till Wednesday. Like, mm-hmm. say. So I did that and I wasn't drinking. I wasn't doing anything and I'm following everything the program was telling me and I'm at my first NA convention and I stand up for my 90 days, right? Well, I'm on Suboxone, but I felt like I had 90 days. Like, I, dude, I haven't shot dope. I haven't done anything in yeah, 90 days. Great, probably. I felt great. I don't even know if I was shooting dope at the time. It was oxys and cocaine mm-hmm. and crack. I get a tug. They were like, dude, Tuesday, you're off your taper. We're going to go to home group because I had a Tuesday night home group. You're going to pick up a white key tag and we'll start your time over again. And I'm like, I didn't hear none of that. I didn't hear good job. You did great. You're doing fine. This is part of the process. I heard, dude, you got till Tuesday and you got $200 in your pocket. All right, maybe we're still in Suboxone, so I won't go get any dope. I don't want to start that demon. Mm-hmm. But I can take a couple hits of crack between now and Tuesday and pick up my white key tag. That was somewhere in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Maybe some. I don't know. My, my using days were kind of a blur. Mm-hmm. So somewhere between 2004 and 2008, that was that, right? And that one more hit took me to 2016. I never went back to that home group again. I never picked up another white key tag after that. I had went to a few noon meetings. Uh, I had done this and that, trying like just one last ditch effort. Let me just try a meeting while I was high. I had people from the rooms come knocking on my door, dragging me to meetings and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. But just something in my spirit was crushed enough to not care. Like these people... Oh, he did. Maybe I just wasn't ready to receive the message. I don't mm-hmm. know. But I'm careful today. Like, there's a lot of people in the maintenance program, and I know we're supposed to be completely abstinent, right? But mm-hmm. 
Who am I to deny somebody their process? I don't give a fuck if they're counting their clean yeah. time. Give, stay alive. Give yourself a chance mm -hmm. to stay clean. And one day you're going to realize that you're probably better off without the shit, hopefully. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I don't have a problem working steps with somebody on Suboxone today. Yeah. I don't care. Maybe somewhere yeah. working a first step, they realize It's that. a lot like the gym. It's like, dude, you want to build the habit of going to the gym. And if you eat a pizza when you leave here, like, that's fine. But just keep coming to the gym. Just keep going to the gym. Eventually, and we'll the work food. on the diet later. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I don't want anyone ever feeling that way again, mm -hmm. like I felt back then at that convention. I left a Narcotics Anonymous convention when I smoked crack, mm -hmm. um, with my intention being that I'm going to come back Tuesday. I think that was a Friday or a Saturday night. I'm going to come to the home group Tuesday and pick up a white key tag, and we'll start our clean time over. I just need one last hurrah. And since that day to the day I finally surrendered, came a lot of yets. Came the uh, smoking crack every day, all day long, until I ran out of money. Came the putting a needle in my arm. Came the house coming crushing down because the the sheriff's department, like all that stuff, came after that mm -hmm. point. You know, I don't. I just don't want anybody to ever feel that they're not welcome, that they don't have a chance that they're doing it wrong, just come to the gym every day and we'll figure the rest out. Mm -hmm. You know, come, just show up, call me, whatever. That sucks. Being in that place that, all right, this is the last house on the block. This is the only place I can get help. And then I felt like I got pushed out. Yeah. That's how I felt. They didn't really push me out. And it was just one person maybe yeah. delivering a message the wrong way. I realized that today, but the place I was at that day, that's all I needed to hear from my disease to say, fuck yeah. these people. Mm -hmm. They're a bunch of assholes. Let's get the fuck out of here. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened. And Yeah, because the thing is, is like, we get so caught up in like clean time. And if you're using, we don't make people feel that way. Like you could be on heroin and we're like, oh, I keep coming. But when people are on Suboxone, sometimes people All are like, side, oh, right. well, you know, you can't be here on maintenance. And the thing is, is that like, you know, I want to encourage people to keep coming. But I also want to bring the awareness that you're still on a substance. Because it's kind of fucked up to have people thinking that they're clean when they're not. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like I don't want that to be like a, de a deterring factor. I know this one kid who um who was on subs, who was coming to meetings, and he's like, yeah, bro, I remember I talked to you outside of a meeting once, and I told you I was on like like a half, a quarter of Suboxone. And you just said, that's awesome, man. You're not clean, but keep coming. <laughs> and, he, and he was like, dude, I was like, what the fuck is he talking about? And he was like, it made me want to get clean because I was like, well, maybe I'm almost there, you know? Right. And like, maybe, I don't know if he said like, a, it was like a dick thing to say, but that's just like my reaction. Right. I was like, okay, cool, bro. You're not clean. But like, maybe I shouldn't have said that, but he he got clean after that. You yeah. Know? Well, I had a girl back home that I, the last girl, the last person I used with back home was this girl. And we were both at the methadone clinic together. I think that's mm -hmm. where I had met her. She had gotten her life together on methadone. She was like on, I don't know, they were giving her like a month's worth of take-homes. I think she was on mm -hmm. like three to five milligrams a day. And she kept seeing like the progress in my life that since I had moved, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and she started doing some things in her life. Like she's not letting this control her. She's not doing any other substances. Mm -hmm. And I got, the only thing I could tell her is like, I'm proud of you. But like, mm -hmm. what do you need three milligrams of methadone a day for? Like, what do you really need it for? You're not physically addicted to it. Like, yeah, you're going to have some withdrawals coming off of it, but, like, you have the opportunity right now. You have enough. You have 30 take-homes. You can make that last, like, three or four months. Like, take it every other day. Take it yeah. once every three days. Get off of that shit. So then she decided to come down here. It was a May before COVID or right when COVID was hitting. I introduced her to a bunch of my friends that she had knew from, from social media. Mm -hmm. I took her to a bunch of meetings. This so stuff was still going on because COVID hadn't hit. She went back home. She was already had started her taper, but she went back home. And like a month later, mm -hmm. she decided that April 10th was her last day of ever taking methadone again. And she got a sponsor on Zoom. Mm -hmm. Happened to be a girl from Miami that we both know, Allie. Mm -hmm. She got her sponsor on Zoom. She got cool. involved with this Zoom meeting in Orlando. It was like an LGBT meeting, mm -hmm. but she clicked with those people. And they met seven nights a week at 7 o'clock. So she started doing service uh -huh. on this Zoom meeting. That's cool. Like, she got clean during Zoom. During Zoom. When yeah, people, a lot of people did. It's crazy. When people that were clean found excuses to go use. Yeah. Like, she got clean during Zoom. And I don't know that I could have did that, but mm -hmm. she was just at her point. So now she's built this support network of people that she actually had met before that she can see on Zoom and connect and this mm -hmm. and that. And it worked for her. Mm -hmm. And then she got honest a little bit and said, yeah, I'm still kind of drinking here and there, but I'm, I'm going to cut that out too. I think that was before April 11th. Mm -hmm. But um, April 11th is her clean date. And um, she just celebrated two years clean this past April. That's, That's awesome. Yeah. Sometimes we just make a difference in people's lives by how, how they see us and, mm -hmm. and how our lives are starting to turn out. Because she's like one of the few people that knew me at my worst. Yeah. 
It's just cool to make a difference in, in people's lives. And yeah, I'm a little extra on social media. Like I'm always posting like everything on there, but mm-hmm. I don't have nothing to hide. Like, it's not like I'm worried about my job finding out. I work for a treatment facility. Yeah. It's not like I'm worried about anyone that I'm going to interview with because they're yeah. going to see on my criminal background the dozens of uh-huh. of arrests and the felony that I had for stealing from a job. That's a whole other story, but that's yeah. still haunting me today. But it's been over seven years since that felony, and I just printed out paperwork to fill out to possibly get it expunged. expunged. Fine. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, and I, and I don't even need to, but mm-hmm. why not? Cause I like now I'm like I never thought I'd buy another house, but mm-hmm. it's in it's in the cards right yeah, now. Yeah, for sure. Right, so like I'm starting to save up a little bit of money to either maybe not a house, a condo, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like they're gonna do a credit check. They might do a background check if it's in the community. Mm-hmm. So why let this thing keep haunting me? So like, just being clean has given me the opportunity to start building my credit back mm-hmm. after two bankruptcies and a house foreclosure. Right. I just bought a car. I mean, yeah, it's a Honda Accord, but they gave me a $37,000 car without a dollar down awesome. with just my signature. Awesome. Do they know who they did that for? <laughs> and I'm not saying that to brag. I'm probably a little overextended on the car payments because I didn't have no money down. But I was like, yeah, if you could get me in a loan for this, I'll buy it today. And yeah, I put my foot in my mouth because the guy came back. He's like, well, I got, and the interest rate wasn't ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow, like this is doable. So like we start getting some things back and. And, and why not get that record thrown out, mm-hmm. right? Why not get my right? I finally got my rights restored to vote. I haven't awesome. voted in 20 years. And I went and voted. I only voted for two people, uh-huh. but I just wanted to go to the gym. Yeah, exactly. You know, maybe next election I'll vote for more. Maybe I'll start being interested in politics now mm-hmm. because I never was able to vote. So why, who do I, why do I care what these politicians have mm-hmm. to say? What difference is it going to make in my life yeah, when can. I can't even vote? I wow. can't make a difference. So... So maybe I start getting interested in politics now because I had never been before. But like there's these opportunities that were never important in my life that are so important in everyone else's life and and society at large that like now they're important to me, you know? Well, hey, I want to appreciate you coming on the show. I love you very much. That was an amazing message. I love you too. And it's always good to see you, bro. Thanks for having me. It was amazing. Thank you. This show is not affiliated with any specific 12-step program. If you or a loved one is struggling with an addiction, please find a local 12-step meeting. If you believe you may need detox or drug treatment of any kind, please call 833-999-1877 to speak to a specialist. The show is sponsored by United Recovery Project, a state-of-the-art drug and alcohol rehab facility. You can visit our website at unitedrecoveryproject.com. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.